anybody here know what a fatberg is? Uh, no, it's not me, you fools. You will soon. Greetings, salutations, it's the Bitterness and Rage Show. This is Rob, your pilot of bitterness, your captain of rage. On today's showgram, welcome, by the way, happy Saturday, everybody. Welcome to the big show. We're going to talk about Tony Dungy on Michael Sam, the Ray Rice suspension, insert laugh track here, the Kevin Love, the ongoing Kevin Love trade saga, Carmelo Anthony. You remember him, says it's not about the money. Really, it isn't about the money. The QSR Spotlight, as always, the dope of the week, and as a special treat, a new voice will be chiming in on the showgram today. More on that later. But, Foist, how can you find me in the show? You can always jump on your Twitter machines at Bitter and Rage, at Bitter and Rage. I have. The Bitterness and Rage show is available as a home delivery podcast at bitternessandrage.podbean.com. Click on it, subscribe, enjoy all the magic that'll come right to your doorstep. You can email me with all of your threats, complaints, subpoenas, questions at bitternessandrage at gmail.com. And of course, there is the Bitterness and Rage show fan page on Facebook. So that's a steaming pile of ways that you can get a hold of me. Let's start off the exciting showgram by talking about the Fatberg. Now, normally it's mostly sports with a little bit of food thrown in, but I got this story that came across my desk from the NowIKnow.com website about the Fatberg and the story of the Kingston Township in London who had a citywide plumbing failure a little over a year ago because apparently everything that you flush down the toilet normally goes down the sewer like toilet paper and other things and they dissolve in the water and we're none the wiser but uh, there are three things that do not uh, dissolve and that would be sanitary napkins baby wipes and food fats when they go down the drain they end up in the sewer in roughly the same conditions as they were when they left the house please hide the women and children during this segment so the fatberg is essentially an iceberg of food fats sanitary napkins and baby wipes and this particular fatberg that ruined the lives of many a kingston citizen weighed a solid 15 metric tons or 33,000 pounds and reduced the sewer to 5% of its typical capacity. That's basically the size of a school bus, my friends. So chew on that for a while, pardon the pun. However, there is one bright spot that came out of the old Fatberg, and that would be that you can actually harness the power of the Fatberg for electricity. And according to The Guardian, a newspaper in the United Kingdom, the power that you could get from the collective Fatberg. So this particular Fatberg was just one. The collective Fatbergs across the United Kingdom would provide enough energy to power 40,000 homes in London every year. My friends, Yuck City. And speaking of Yuck City, let us ease effortlessly into the Ray Rice suspension. A few days ago, Ray Rice was finally suspended for the incident that happened back in February in which he, and I'm not going to use the word alleged like so many people do and use it incorrectly, dragged his girlfriend 
fiance now wife out of an elevator and and we're not going to sit here and rehash uh the events of that day in atlantic city but it was in february that all this came out the video was released by tmz and a couple days ago goodell sheriff roger uh, handed out a two-game suspension to young Ray Rice. I don't want to sit here and get into uh, what crime befits what length of suspension. There's been a lot of hand-wringing and teeth-gnashing about the length of the suspension and whether it should be four games, six games, eight games, the whole season, what have you. I'm not here to comment on that. What I am here to comment on is this because enough people smarter than me have commented on the length of the suspension. And I also don't want to talk about how this impacts the female fans of the National Football League. But folks, you can't wait. Let's see, if I do my math, I'm counting on my fingers. That's five months from the incident. If you really want to make a stand, Raj, if you want to do what's best for the shield, you bring down the hammer now. Okay, you don't bring down the hammer five months later. I mean, it's it's until it was brought up again, most people have pretty much forgotten about it. I mean, yes, you can see the video as much as you want, but people have moved on to their lives and, quite frankly, had moved on to other Baltimore Ravens that have gotten themselves in trouble in this offseason. I believe the Ravens lead the league. My son, who's a Ravens fan, will be very happy to hear that the Ravens already lead the league in something. Maybe there's a trophy for that. Who knows? But you you got to bring down the hammer sooner. you got to be more consistent. I mean, here's someone who had actual video evidence of his crime, alleged or otherwise, and no matter what happened, no matter the outcome of that event, it's still a black eye for the shield. So you, you can't wait five months. I mean, we can sit here and discuss the, the nature of the crime and what it does going forward for young fans, female fans, what have you. But the bottom line is, if you look at this purely objectively, step back and take this out of the realm of whether it's bad for the female fans, bad for the children or not, it's bad for the NFL, period, because it makes you look weak, it makes you look inconsistent, it makes you look like you're protecting some of your more, and I'll put this in air quotes for the TV audience, for your star players, it just seems like justice is blind and slightly inconsistent. So if we're going to complain about something with this suspension, let's not complain about two games not being a fitting suspension for the crime of dragging a woman out of an elevator, but rather it's just not fitting of a league that is supposed to be trying to repair whatever broken image it perceives to have of itself, and five months to hand down a two-game suspension isn't going to cut it. If you want to hand down a, a year-long suspension or a half-season suspension after five months, that's one thing. But to go five months and then say two games, the first two games of the season, it seems a little weak and a little inconsistent. All right. Now, I have a special treat for everyone. We are going to debut a brand-new segment here on the Bitterness and Rage show called The View from the Upper Deck with GK. This is a man that I work with in my other job named Noah Grossfeld-Katz. We affectionately call him GK. And he is here with us on the as-yet-unsponsored, let me say that again, the as-yet-unsponsored Bitterness and Rage show hotline. It's GK with The View from the Upper Deck. Welcome, GK. How are you today? I'm doing very well, thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on the show. Uh, and I love baseball. Can't wait to uh, talk about it uh, with the listeners. And um, uh, it's just it's great to be on the show. So thanks a lot for the opportunity. There are literally thousands 
of people listening to you right now for your big uh, show business debut. So don't be nervous. And whatever you oh, don't. I'm not nervous. It's uh, it's uh, a wonderful thing, and um, well, I'm ready. I'm anxious to get started. All right, and don't look directly into the camera either. Always look like you're, you know, not like you're reading. Okay, no so. Problem. Uh, I have you on today because uh, the All-Star game was a couple weeks ago, and so now we are a week into the, the dreaded second half of the baseball season. And I just wanted to get an, another voice, uh, another perspective on baseball from someone who I consider to be somewhat of a baseball expert. I just want to sort of look ahead at what the second half of the season is going to bring. Potential trades, who's going to stay put, who's not going to stay put, buyers, sellers. And then we'll do that low-hanging uh, radio fruit of saying, well, this is our MVP, this is our Cy Young Rookie of the Year, and anything else you think is uh, pertinent for the second half. So just looking ahead, what, do we, what can we expect? Do we, are we going to have the same, do you think, the people that are currently leading their divisions, including our own beloved Baltimore Orioles, do we think that's going to hold, or, what are we, or is it going to be an Oakland A's World Series celebration here in July? <laughs> question and uh, you know this year I think if I recall correctly the all-star game was held pretty late uh, in the season so actually uh, uh, not significantly into the really the second half of the season once the all-star game came but uh, certainly there were quite a number of games played past the halfway mark uh, when the all-star game occurred so I think we have uh, even a more accurate assessment of uh, who the teams really are and I think for the most part uh, just based on what I've seen that's um, most of the, uh, most, if not all of the teams currently in first place will stay where they are. Uh, I think it'll be tight, very tight in the AL East. But uh, with the injuries to to most of the other teams in that division, I do think the Orioles will hold on. And of course, there's some bias there as a right. lifelong Orioles fan. But um, I do think the Orioles have the offense um, and and the pitching to hold on to the division. Uh, when we get to the playoffs, I think uh, it'll be a tough road. But I do think the O's will hold on. Um, so I think the, uh, the AL uh, playoff picture is, is pretty well set. Um, yeah. Actually, it could be a different story. The, the Dodgers are playing the Giants now, um, and then they play again, I think, the last week of the season, although I could be wrong about that. But uh, that'll be tight. The NL East will be tight. Uh, so uh, even Pittsburgh has a chance in the, in, the, in the Central. So the National League I'm less confident about, but I do think the American League is pretty uh, – pretty well established. Do, do you see the, the NL East with the Braves and the, the Nationals being the tightest race? Uh, that's, you know, um, you mean specifically in the East, or you mean uh, in, of all the National League, is that the tightest? I mean, of, of all the um, of all the divisions, actually, because, I mean, even though the AL East is looking to be very tight with the, the Rays doing their usual late season coming on strong right. and the Yankees winning 7 of 8, it still seems like the Nationals and Braves are going to be flip-flopping. Maybe even the Cardinals and Brewers, but I see I see the Brewers fading. I just don't have confidence in them. But do you think the Nationals and the Braves are going to have the tightest race going down the stretch? They could. It could even be the Dodgers and Giants uh, pretty tight, too. But, the, you know, the Nationals, to me, their big problem has always been when they play the Braves. So I don't know how many games left they have against Atlanta, mm -hmm. uh, but um, they just seem never to be able to get it done when they play head-to-head. -head. Uh, so if they do have a lot of games remaining against each other, I think that could be a real problem for Washington. Okay. Um, but, yeah. All right. What What do you think about, uh, as, since we're talking about the division races, which teams do you see is going to be the busiest in, a, in about a week? The trading the trading deadline is next Thursday. So who's who do you think is going to be the busiest? And do you see any players being on the block like Bartolo Colon or David Price? Although 
way Tampa Bay is playing, I'm not sure they want to trade uh, David Price. But who do you think is ripe for trading? Which teams do you think are going to be the biggest buyers and sellers? Right. Yeah, that's that's a great question. And I, to be quite honest, I don't know because, you know, sometimes teams and players just surprise you with picks that come out of nowhere. Uh, and given the uh, ups and downs of, uh, of especially Tampa Bay's season, uh, but a few other teams as well, uh, even, you know, even the Mets. Uh, the Mets have been talked about a lot. Uh, uh, but, you know, I think that the Mets and most other teams really should just stay put where they are. Um, right, the Mets this, have the- a lot of great talent. This does seem this does seem like a year when uh, when every team seems to be in it, with a few exceptions. And it, it looked like before the All Star break that there were a number of teams you could point to and say these guys are going to be sellers. And now those teams like the Mets and the Rays are making a big push for the postseason. And why would they want to upset the apple cart like that? Exactly. That that was exactly my philosophy on the issue. And worst case scenario, let's take the Mets for example. That's the Mets probably can't. Uh, you know, overtake the uh, the rest of the division. But even so, give them a chance to evaluate the talent they have, and then who knows, next year they'll be even better. Uh, so I think why upset their upward trend, even if that doesn't take into the playoffs this season, it could potentially next year. So no sense in disturbing that by making making a trade. Right, and they have, uh, they have so much young pitching on that team. I mean, if they're going to get rid of anyone, Bartolo Colon would make the most sense. But if they want to pick up a Tulowitzki or another shortstop or another left fielder, and they'd have to give up some of that young pitching. It seems foolish, considering they're doing so well now. Even if they don't make the playoffs, they've set themselves up well for the future, so it seems like they should stand pat. Oh, absolutely. It's, that's why it's been such an interesting year, because, uh, it, all, as you said uh, just a couple minutes ago, the, most of the teams still seem in it. They have a shot. Um, in fact, some... On a sports columnist wrote about two months ago that uh, all a team needs to do is have basically an eight or ten game winning streak, which granted is not easy. But uh, if a team were to put together an eight or ten game winning streak, they could find themselves close to the top of the division uh, wherever they are. So uh, it's it's really quite an interesting season, but that's what makes for an exciting season. Right. Uh, so I think most teams will have meaningful games down the stretch, and that's what you want to see. Well, that that's good. That's that's a good kind of baseball, and everybody's playing for something. So uh, just off the top of your head, uh, MVPs in each league or Cy Young? It would have been uh, AL Cy Young would have been easy before uh, Tanaka went on the shelf. Exactly. Uh, so let's, I think we should start with the MVP, which to me, and this is going to sound like regionalism, but uh, Nelson Cruz, the Orioles would not... The Orioles have a great team, but uh, they would not be where they are without Nelson Cruz. And I think when you're looking for an MVP, you're looking up somebody who puts up good numbers, but who also is someone who can push the team, uh, you know, over the top. And to me, Nelson Cruz has done that with the Orioles. He's having a fantastic season. And his batting average isn't, you know, it's taken a tumble over the past uh, week or so, but uh, uh, the home run production is there, the RBIs are there. Uh, he would be my choice. And, and his home runs always seem so timely, don't they? He's not just like the team is up 6-1 and he hits a, a meaningless two-run home run to make it 8-1. His home runs always seem to be just at the right time, which is what you want from a most valuable player. Exactly. That's, that's exactly right. Last night's game uh, against Felix Hernandez, uh, who probably talking about Cy Young might be my choice this year. Right. Uh, but uh, 
hit that home run uh, off of uh, Felix Hernandez, and you know that's Nelson Cruz has been clutch all year. In fact, I remember uh, what was it a month or two, maybe two months ago, the Orioles were down four nothing in the eighth, and uh, Nelson Cruz had a had a grand slam. Uh, so uh, it's, um, he's been clutch all year. He would be my my choice. All right, and what about the National League? Uh, National League is harder to say. Um, you know, you, it, you can even give it to a pitcher. Uh, there have been uh, some fantastic pitching performances this year. Uh, you know, it's, I, I don't think there's a clear cut of choice, really. Right. Yeah, it'll, it'll probably shake itself out during the season, but you're right. This could be a case where we have a Cy Young MVP because the pitchers seem to be more dominating over there. I mean, you could easily give it to, if the Dodgers manage to win the division, you can give it to Clayton Kershaw. Both of them. Exactly. So, all right, well, let's uh, let's shift gears here. Speaking of the Dodgers, um, our, one of our favorite newsmakers, Yasiel Puig, last night went five for five with three triples. Um, and I know you have some pretty strong feelings about Yasiel Puig, who doesn't seem to be doesn't seem to be as much Puig mania this year as there was last year. Maybe that's because he plays in a team that has other players that capture more of the spotlight, like the aforementioned Clayton Kershaw. But you have some pretty strong feelings about Mr. Puig, don't you? I do. I, I, you know, I consider myself somewhat of a, uh, a baseball purist, uh, and you know about the classiness on the field. And Puig has tons of natural ability. Uh, he, he's a great player, uh, but I do think that um, his uh, antics, if you will, and his <laughs> immaturity uh, really um, are, are not good uh, in terms of uh, what young people should be emulating. You know, you go to the ballpark. I went to Dodger Stadium. Uh, about uh, three months ago, and you see Puig jer- jerseys everywhere, and uh, the Dodgers promoting him, you know, and and uh, making him uh, even more popular than he would naturally be with his electrifying personality. And he does have a, an electrifying personality; he's exciting to watch. Uh, but um, to me, he just he plays the wrong kind of baseball. Um, what do you mean that when you, you say know, the, when you say the wrong kind of baseball? What do you mean by that? Yeah, well. To me, what sticks out in my mind the most is uh, the backflip, and it, it, maybe I'm nitpicking, uh, although I don't think that I am, because he, you know, this, this was not just a one-time thing. Uh, he did this during the NLCS uh, last year. He had a long fly ball, flipped the bat, and uh, you know, started a little trot. Uh, turned out the ball stayed in the park. He made it to third base. And what's even more egregious to me is that when he got to third base, he was exultant at having hit uh, a triple, but. To me, he should have had his head down, realizing maybe he could have scored on that. Uh, you know, he's the kind of player who doesn't realize when he's done anything wrong. Right. And that's, to me, very upsetting because it inhibits his ability to learn. Uh, he did a backflip yesterday, one of his triples. Now, he had a great game yesterday, but it could have been even greater. When he does the backflip and things like that, the showboating, uh, right. it, it really shows that he's just... There's, there's a time for there's a time for business, and I mean you know there's a time for playing and playing like you've been there before, and then there's a time for showmanship, and I think maybe he needs to learn that there's where that line is drawn. Exactly, and and I, I'm worried about his ability to learn that because uh, if he can make a backflip in the NLCS, where, where, uh, you know the games don't get much more important than that, uh, and then um, you know again this year. It seems like he's not really getting the message. Right. Uh, so that, that's when I really see the wrong kind of baseball. He also, uh, he's fast, he's electrifying, a great hitter, but he, he misplays a lot of balls in the outfield. I think he, he makes plays he shouldn't. Some, he, he comes in a lot when really your first step should be back. His, uh, his natural instincts uh, seem to be off. Uh, 
Elliott this year. His ability is there. Right. But his baseball instincts, especially when you compare it, I know he's not an out, outfielder, but when you compare him to somebody like Manny Machado, right. he's that age, uh, and his baseball instincts are all there. Uh, Puig just, uh, he's got the ability, but uh, it's not it's not refined. Right. Uh, and hopefully that hopefully that is something he'll improve upon. Uh, hopefully. He's I mean, a truly fantastic player. You would think under the tutelage of a man who was Mr. Baseball for... And I would dare I say the best player in baseball between 84 and 86, you'd think under the tutelage of Don Mattingly, he would learn how to be more fundamentally sound and, as you say, better when it comes to the basics of being a ball player. He'd be better at that under his guidance. And maybe he will be. I mean, this is only his second year, first full year. Um, so, uh, since we're being so Baltimore-centric, talking about Manny Machado and guys who are good for baseball, let's let's talk about Derek Jeter for a moment, who's, as everyone knows, you can't go more than five seconds at any baseball game without talking about Derek Jeter. You and I are diehard, born-in-the-wool Oriole fans, and yet, and we're, we're genetically programmed to hate the New York Yankees, and yet we would both agree that uh, we like Derek Jeter, and we're sad to see him go skills diminishing uh, put aside. Why is that? Why do you think people like us who are avowed Yankee haters are actually shedding a real tear to see a guy like Derek Jeter leave? Right, well, that's, you know, this has special significance to me because I was just a, a young lad when Jeter hit that ball in the ALCS that uh, Jeffrey Mayer caught, uh, all didn't catch, but interfered <laughs> with. Uh, so my hatred of Derek Jeter really was born when I was most impressionable. Uh, so I, I genuinely hated Derek Jeter uh, for many years. But the reality is any baseball fan has to appreciate what he did on the field and also what he did not do off the field. He had no troubles. Uh, he was just a classy guy. He, he played the game the right way. And, and I want to draw a contrast with Tweed here. You know, Jeter came up when he was in his teens, basically. And uh, he... You never read anything about Derek Jeter having on or off the field troubles. He played the game the right way. He uh, he had tremendous baseball instincts. I, I still don't know what he was doing uh, in the playoffs that when he made that flip to the catcher where he was on the first base line. Um, but that that's something. Just he is a tremendous uh, athlete, player, and seemingly person. I, I was still known personally, but seems like just a class act, uh, which is. To me, as I said before, how the game should be played, and uh, the game will miss him. And um, as much as Oriole fans hate him, uh, they'll miss a player like that too, because we value good baseball. Uh, and that's I, the way it is. So. I could not agree with you more. And, and let's let's because we're men, let's acknowledge that what he did off the field was almost as impressive, if you know what I mean, as he did on the baseball field. So I got I got two more I got two more nuggets for you. Um, the All Star Game, which and this is again more low hanging fruit for uh, talk shows but the all-star game counting um, for home field advantage for the NL or the AL your thoughts on that I believe you'd said you you changed your mind about that at some point didn't you you were first on board with it I think and now you think it's just that's as right. foolish as everyone else <laughs> that's right I, I was on board with it because I didn't like what happened when the game ended in a tie and you know it's good to try new things so I was all for trying it but you know it, the way the managers manage the All-Star game and the way the players, uh, you know, just uh, come in briefly and then go out, it's not a, it's, it's not played like a real game, it's not managed like a real game, therefore it shouldn't have any consequences uh, in the season. Uh, it's supposed to be an exhibition of the greatest talent there is. It's, it's supposed to be, um, I guess, have a level of fun and 
relaxedness, uh, if I may use that uh, word I think I made up, uh, that it, you can copyright that when it carries weight. So right. it was good to try, good to try new things. I think Bud Selig made an honest attempt to uh, uh, to rectify the problems that were that you know that were brought about by that tie. But um, having account for something as important as the World Series is uh, it, it rubs me the wrong way. Right, and, and it rubs a lot of baseball fans the wrong way. And whoever the next commissioner is may indeed decide to make it count for something, but not something as important as a home field advantage in the World Series. And let me let you go on this one. Um, tomorrow is the enshrinement into the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, and Greg Maddox and Tony La Russa are going into the Hall of Fame, and their plaques are going to have no logo. The hats that they wear on the plaques will have no logo. Now, for Tony La Russa, I mean, he, you know, White Sox, A's, Cardinals, it, most people would have a hard time identifying him. I mean, you and I would probably identify him more as, a, as an A, but there are many who would, just, who would just identify him as a great manager. But Greg Maddox did most of his great work with the Braves. I mean, he did have a couple of good seasons with the Cubs. So I don't understand um, the motivation for either one of them. Do you have any thoughts on whether or not this is good, bad, and different? Is this just, or is this just a who cares? They're going into the hall. Who cares what the plaque looks like? Maybe it's just me. Yeah, you know. One, um, it's an honor for the player uh, or manager, as the case may be. So I I'm okay with uh, not the flag not having a team on it. Uh, you know, the Baseball Hall of Fame obviously is for it's for baseball in general, but it's also to honor the the player uh, and his impact on the game. So if a player wants to go in or a manager wants to go in without being associated with a certain team, I can't say I have any strong feelings about that uh, as of yet. Um, you know. It's, I suppose a case could be made that because a player was with a certain team, that affected his performance. Uh, certainly there are some pitchers who, uh, if they get no run support because they're pitching for a, a terrible team, uh, their win-loss record you know, wouldn't be as good as if they were pitching with a, a better team, even though that, that pitcher would have the same ability. Uh, but, you know, over the course of a career, I think that, that bears itself out. And uh, to me, this, if a player wants to go in not associated with a, a particular team, that's okay by me. Okay, and manager too? If a manager doesn't want to be associated with a particular team, your thoughts are the same? I associate Tony LaGrusso mainly with the Cardinals, uh, but uh, certainly remember when he was today. But, All right. You know, that's, the player is the one being honored, uh, so that's, I don't see a problem with it. Okay. And you know what, maybe it's, again, just me being a, one of those baseball purists that likes to see everything the way it is and without any changes. All right, my friend, GK, I appreciate you coming on the show and, uh, you know, quite frankly, making my job a lot easier because I don't have to talk the whole time. And I'm sure people will listen appreciate having another voice besides mine. So I hope we can do this again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate the opportunity. It was uh, nice chatting about all things baseball and, uh, I look forward to talking to you again. Okay. Thank you, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. All right. Thanks a lot. I hope you all enjoyed the view from the upper deck with GK. Hopefully we're going to make that a regular segment here so you have some other voice to listen to besides mine. And, um, hey, that way you can say I actually heard somebody with some intelligence on the Bitterness and Rage show. Let us move effortlessly now to a couple rotting carcasses of the slow summer sports seasons. These are stories that have been hashed out by other people already, but I haven't had my whack at this pinata yet, so we're going to talk about Tony Dungy on Michael Sam and the Kevin Love for Andrew Wiggins trade, or Kevin Love for whomever trade. 
Tony Dungy said about Michael Sam that if he were a general manager of a football team, he would not have drafted Michael Sam because of the distraction and the media circus that comes with it. Uh, a lot of people jumped on Tony Dungy as being homophobic, as being intolerant, and he was mischaracterized as saying that he wouldn't draft him because he was gay. Now, we all know Tony Dungy, now on NBC Sports, uh, Super Bowl winning coach of the Baltimore, or Baltimore Colts, yikes, of the Indianapolis Colts, first African-American head coach to win the Super Bowl, former coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a great man. A man who is sort of the soul of the league. I just got finished talking about the inconsistent sheriff of the NFL. Well, he would be the conscience, the Jiminy Cricket of the NFL. So I think we're, we're doing him a disservice by characterizing him as being intolerant and complaining about his views. He's always been very frank and very honest. I actually appreciate the fact that someone asked him a question. He gave an honest answer, which is such a rarity amongst the NFL talking heads. But the question here is not... Does he, is he intolerant? Is he bashing homosexuals? Let, let's just step back a second before we get to what the question is. It's a lot of people, if we really look at this objectively, thought the same way that Tony Dungy did. I mean, Michael Sam was drafted 249th. So there were, by the St. Louis Rams, so there's 29 other general managers who must have thought the same thing. Quite frankly, they thought, this guy doesn't have the talent. Forget his sexual orientation, forget the pioneering aspect of it. Forget the uh, uh, distraction that may come with it. It's the man just wasn't that good. So if he was better, he would have been drafted 249th. So 29 other general managers could have felt the same way. And maybe deep down, some of them did not want to draft someone who's homo uh, homosexual on their team. And that's really not for me to say. But other people passed on him. So it's not as though Tony Dungy is the first to come out and say he wouldn't have drafted him. And I'm sure the reasons that Tony Dungy gave were shared by at least some of those general managers who passed on Michael Sam. But I would just say this to Tony Dungy about distractions. And the, if any league can handle distractions, it's the NFL. I would ask you this, Tony. If somebody said to you before you were hired by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, if they said to you or to Art Shell, who was the first black head coach, in the National Football League when he coached the Raiders. If they said it'd be too much of a distraction, too much of a media circus to hire you, how would you feel? How would Art Shell have felt? So if we're going to be upset about anything, if we're going to question or point any fingers at Tony Dungy, that's what we should be asking. Because... Sorry, I went to the zoo for a moment there. Is, is how would you feel if somebody said to you, we're not going to hire you because you're a distraction? And it's the same issue with Michael Sam. The exact same issue. So, Tony, I appreciate the honesty, but sometimes when you make these comments, you need to think about how those comments would sound if they were directed towards you. Uh, the Kevin Love trade, I don't want to spend a lot of time on the Kevin Love trade. Uh, Andrew Wiggins was just signed by the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, making his making him untradeable for the next 30 days. This is going to go back and forth all summer. Will the Cavaliers trade Kevin Love? Won't they trade Kevin Love? It's very simple. Andrew Wiggins could be a great player or he could be a bust. LeBron James not come back to Cleveland to wait three, four, five years to win a championship. So who would you rather have at this point? If your window is short, not long-term, we're talking the next four or five years while he's still in his peak, would you rather have an established 20 and 10, 20 plus, 10 plus guy 
Or would you rather have Andrew Wiggins and wait a couple of years before he develops and then he finally gets into his own, into his prime, and maybe he decides he wants to leave the Cavaliers? And that, where does that leave LeBron James? Where does that leave the city of Cleveland? So it's very simple. You need Kevin Love if you want to win now. You have to give up to get something. If, if you're LeBron James, you say, you know what, Wiggins, you're a great player. You could be a great player, but I want to win now. I don't have the time to wait. And right now, people think Minnesota is all the leverage. Minnesota has no leverage in this. Minnesota is going to lose Kevin Love when he becomes a free agent. And the longer they wait, the less they're going to get because the desperation, the stench of desperation is going to waft through the entire league. So they need to move now. If Cleveland is not going to play ball with Andrew Wiggins, find someone else who will. Get what you want now, because the longer this goes on, especially if it trickles into the beginning of the season, you're going to find yourself with no Kevin Love, no Andrew Wiggins, no nothing. He'll be a free agent and he'll move on with his life, and you'll have nothing left to show for it. So Cleveland, say goodbye to Wiggins. This is why you have all those number one draft picks. You have Anthony Bennett, you have Deion Waiters, you have Kyrie Irving. You have a lot of good young players to pair with LeBron James. Bring in a guy that's going to haul down 20 points and 10 rebounds. Put him in the front court with Anderson Varahau and win yourself a championship. Okay, you might not you might not win a championship with Kevin Love, but you're certainly a lot farther away from a championship without him. And speaking of championships, I'm holding in my hand here, and you can hear the paper, a piece of high comedy from one Carmelo Anthony, who says again, it's not about the money. His decision to go to the New York Knicks over the Chicago Bulls is not about the money. It was about $40 million more dollars, Carmelo. That's what the decision was. But no, really, really, he wants you all to know it's not about the money. So I, I, I printed this article uh, from uh, ESPN.com, in which he says, it quotes, the Knicks aren't that far away from contending for an NBA title, end quote. That's why he signed with New York. What? I'm sorry. Let me read that again for those of you that have passed out. And if you're listening to this in the car, please, both hands on the wheel. He said, I quote, the Knicks aren't that far away from contending for an NBA title. So he has more confidence with the Knicks as NBA title contenders than the Bulls. So let's just continue this little comedy routine, shall we? This is your projected starting lineup for your New York Knickerbockers starting in this fall. Jose Calderon, J.R. Smith, Carmelo Anthony, Andre Bargnani, and Jason Smith. Right, I'm asking myself the same question. Who? Who is that center? And then listen to who the Chicago Bulls have. Derrick Rose, Jimmy Butler, uh, Doug McDermott, who could be Rookie of the Year, with Mike Dunleavy backing him up, Pau Gasol with Taj Gibson backing him up coming off the bench, and Joe Kim Noah. That's a pretty pretty strong lineup there. So I'm not sure what New York Knicks team Carmelo Anthony was talking about. Maybe he thought it was the Knicks team that Phil Jackson played on, his uh, president now with the New York Knicks. Maybe the teams he played on in 70 and 73. Yes, that team is a lot closer to winning a championship. In fact, those teams did win championships. But today, you give me anyone, anyone from that Bulls roster over the Knicks roster, at least the starting five for both teams. So don't tell us it's not about the money. It's the money. If you came out and said, I went to New York because they just backed up a Brinks truck to my front door and dumped $40 million extra dollars on my doorstep, we'd have a lot more respect for you. But please, 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 don't tell us it's not about the money. And don't then compound that nonsense by saying that the Bulls are further away from a championship than the Knicks. And I won't even get into 
Derek Fisher, rookie head coach, versus what I, who I think is the best coach in the NBA, second maybe only to Greg Popovich, and that would be Tom Thibodeau. So it's time for the QSR spotlight. We got a couple of big nuggets here for you, and then we'll move into the dope of the week and get you out of here before it turns to Sunday. Uh, Tim Hortons always seems to find its way into my QSR spotlight. Tim Hortons is coming out with, in their new stores in the coming year, unisex bathrooms, always a scary concept, and coffee-flavored beer. Apparently somebody thought at Tim Hortons that alcohol and caffeine was a solid combination. Sign me up, please. Um, according to... Uh, Spend Difference, a new report from a supplier called Spend Difference. 93% of restaurant chains are going to be raising the menu prices in the coming year for a number of reasons. Beef and cheese, of course, beef and cheese are at an all-time high because we love in this country our beef and cheese, don't we? And the porcine epidemic diarrhea virus in Iowa that spread to 23 states. Yuck. Yuck city. I just wanted to say porcine diarrhea virus. But here's... So here's how it's going to impact uh, restaurant prices and why they're going to go up. Uh, the pork used for sausage has risen 21% since last year, and I don't understand this, but due to demand, the cost of liquid egg whites has risen 57% since 2013. So your favorite fast food is going to get just a little bit more expensive. Porcine epidemic diarrhea virus for the win. Jelly Belly has new draft beer jelly beans, which contain neither beer nor jelly nor alcohol. So a jelly bean that tastes like beer? Ugh, I don't get it. Please, somebody send me a tweet and explain that to me. Lastly, uh, sriracha, as you know, is like crack for most fast food and snack food devourers. And so the Corner Store, which is a chain you can find in the American Southwest and also on the West Coast, please come here to the East Coast, is introducing what they call the Sweet, Salty, and Spicy Whoopie Pie, which is a cake sandwich with chocolate icing and cake laced with sriracha, you know, the, the hot sauce, the, the, the hot sauce du jour, the thing that everybody goes crazy for. Sriracha topped with salty pretzel bits. So everyone's just going nuts for sriracha. Hog wild for sriracha. Um, I wanted to say the last two items, and I have a new kind of partnership here on the Bitterness and Rage show, those last two items are courtesy of the Junk Food Guy. Those of you that worship at the altar of junk food, as I do, check him out at junkfoodguy.com. You can send him a tweet at at junkfoodguy. Send him a tweet, give him a follow, at junkfoodguy. And while you're there on his site, check out the Nosh Show podcast. You won't be disappointed. And that brings us now to the dope of the week. Johnny Menzel, as you know, is everywhere. Um, you would think he'd be the dope of the week with all the things that he says and does, including recently where he said it's okay for him to party because he's 21 years old and, hey, everybody's doing it. It's the old everyone is doing it uh, defense. But it's not about him. Rather, it's what he's inspiring, the dopiness that he is inspiring. So today's winners were inspired by the Johnny Manziel shenanigans. And it, there's nothing like two irrelevant former celebrities duking it out to see who is truly less relevant and more pathetic. So I give you Dean Cain and Matt Leinert. 
Apparently, um, for some reason, Dean Cain, uh, the former Man of Steel, uh, played the Man of Steel in Lois and Clark. Uh, and he also played defensive back at Princeton and was with the Buffalo Bills for about five minutes before an injury ended his career. He was asked for some reason about Johnny Manziel. And he said, I uh, quote, I do remember another quarterback back in the day coming out being a high draft choice, hanging out with the Hollywood starlets and stars and never really doing that well. I didn't say any names that came out of USC wearing number 11 named Matt Leinart, but it can happen. So he was trying to be all clever and saying that he's, he could be great or he could be Matt Leinart, a guy who had great success in college and flamed out in the NFL. Now, Matt Leinart should know better than to respond to a, to a has-been, since he's a has-been himself, but he then said, um, Put in seven years, and he quote, this was on his own Twitter machine. He said, quote, put seven years in, pretty sure that's seven more than 99% of the world. Some people should stick to their day job because they couldn't cut it. Then he added, stick to being D-list. So you have two has-beens lobbing these insults back and forth at each other, which is, I guess, one way to make sure they stay relevant, at least for five seconds. But I believe that the the author of the Los Angeles Times article that I was reading from, uh, Chuck Shilkin, Chuck Shulkin ended his article, which I think is the perfect way to end the Dope of the Week segment. He said, quote, somewhere out there, Johnny Menzel is wondering who Dean Kane and Matt Leinert are. All right, my friends, it's been another slam-bang, action-packed, Elvis's colon-like showgram. I'm going on summer vacation now because doing this show is so taxing. I will see you around Labor Day. I'm taking my beautiful wife on a Caribbean cruise. I will have a major announcement a major announcement on the Twitter machine in the next few days. How can you find the show, you ask? Again, at Bitter and Rage, at Bitter and Rage. Send me a tweet. Give me a follow. Bitternessandrage.podbean.com. Subscribe to the show, and you can get all of this enjoyment, and you can listen to it over and over and over again. Bitternessandrage at gmail.com is where you can reach me. And, of course, the Bitterness and Rage Show fan page on the Facebook. The Bitterness and Rage Show is a Miyasote Cologne production. And... Bye-bye.